Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. So, point, so what is the solution, or you know, well, what is the, the solution, you, or a solution? What do you, you know, why, why did you write? Increase our cultural resiliency, trying to strengthen the human organism. You know, uh, rather than telling companies to treat people better, I'm asking people to build up their own strength, establish rapport with each other, find solidarity, change our our values, start looking at yourself as having intrinsic value and worth, which most of us don't right now. Most of us think we need to accomplish something or provide something in order to have value. And we don't. I think we come in with value. Hey everybody, so I just got done listening to um, my latest episode of the Look Up Podcast with Douglas Rushkoff. Um, Douglas is a best-selling author, a public intellectual. Uh, his latest book, Team Human, uh, highlights some of the challenges that we face as a society and offers um, compassion and connection as a potential solution, uh, although Douglas wouldn't claim to have the answers. Uh you know, I, I like to listen to all the episodes after after I record them. It's been probably like three weeks since I met Douglas. And in listening to it again, I just feel like uh, I learned a ton. And this is a little bit of an experiment here. I know that a lot of people don't love listening to uh, hour-long podcast episodes. So I'm also going to be posting to YouTube some of my thoughts uh, after, you know, speaking to guests, hopefully in the future right after, and then also after listening to episodes, if I have the opportunity to do it again. I think what I loved about speaking to Douglas was that this is a man that has written multiple New York Times bestsellers, has produced multiple documentaries for PBS and other um, programs, and you know has been extremely thoughtful over the last 20 years, uh, writing 20 books. And yet, here's a man that was still questioning whether or not um, what the work that he's doing was having an impact or whether it was just contributing to the noise. And in speaking to him, you know, it really led me to question a, a little bit more why I'm doing this and uh, if I think that this will have an impact. And I continue to just come back to this idea that, you know, if this show resonates with even one person or any episode resonates with one person, that will have been worthwhile. And while, you know, there's a part of me that's extremely ego driven and wishes that, I could have, you know, 50,000 listeners uh, per episode and and really scale this thing up. The reality is that that's probably not going to happen in the near term and maybe ever. And I have to be okay with that. Uh, But, you know, I think awareness is crucial. And if I'm learning something from guests like Douglas, then I hope that those of you that are listening are learning something as well. Uh, We talk a lot about podcasting, whether or not that's just like a, a game played by a bunch of white middle class and upper class men that are just trying to, you know, out converse one another uh, and are just contributing to the noise rather than actually taking action to make change. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a good question, but I think I think it's really important work. Uh, I really do. And not just because I'm starting this. I mean, I wouldn't have started this if I didn't think that was the case. And again, I think it's about sharing ideas, um, learning, growing together and 
I don't know. I, I, I found myself, um, you know, defending Douglas's work to him. He's just coming off of a long book tour and I can tell he was, he was left with more questions than answers, uh, which is, you know, sobering because I'm on this journey of exploration of discovery and to, to know that 20 years from now, I might circle back and just end up in, in the same place. Um, you know, generally is, is a little bit challenging, but again, you know, Douglas is incredible. If you have the opportunity to listen to the full episode, I really hope that you do. Um, you know, he is discussing a lot of the issues that we face as a society today, this idea of progress, um, the idea of technology solving all of our problems, uh, the challenges with capitalism. Uh, and I don't know of a better system out there than free market capitalism, but, you know, obviously it has a lot of negative consequences. Um, we talk about billionaires and how a lot of them are now uh, creating escape plans for themselves in, if there ever were some kind of crisis, rather than trying to contribute to fixing um, some of the problems with our systems. And I think that's interesting. So I hope there's a, you know, a call to arms from Douglas's work. Uh, there's a lot that needs to be improved. Obviously, life is good, but... Uh, you know, there's more that we can do. And I hope that continuing to produce these shows will help inspire others to take action and inspire myself to take action. So uh, we'll see how this little experiment goes. Uh, it's about four minutes and 30 seconds. I think maybe I'll keep these to five minutes. And thank you again for listening along. And always feel free to shoot me any questions, thoughts, ideas, um, guest recommendations. You know, we're at episode six right now. We'll be you know, definitely releasing 11. Um, I've got more guests to come, but, uh, you know, just figuring it out as I go. So thank you for your time. Take care. Douglas Rushkoff. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks. I was just profusely thanking you earlier before we started recording. Um, you haven't heard an episode? No, but I do um, know you were a banker. I was a banker in a past oh, life. And what does that mean? Do, uh, you weren't like a teller. I, I wasn't like a teller. No, really? <laughs> no, I was not. I was, <laughs> I was an investment banking analyst at Morgan Stanley. And what does that mean? So you analyzed what? The market or like uh, companies? We analyzed company financials. Company so financials. we would do income statements, balance sheets, and we essentially provided the debt for private equity funds like Blackstone, KKR, all that jazz to go out and buy companies. You provided the debt. Mm -hmm. Don't they want money? They what want do they want debt? <laughs> <laughs> In other words, so well, they do. They want they want other people's money. So when you know Blackstone or KKR buy a company, they get debt from a bank to finance anywhere up to like seventy five percent of that purchase. They get money and from it, a bank. From a bank, it's called leverage. Why do you call leverage it buyout? Uh, because the company ends up holding the debt. So when they buy a company. They restructured the entire entire cap table. And so now there's 75% of the cap table is new debt, or it could be less. It could be 50%. Usually of the new company. Of, of the existing company that they purchased. So I want to say I buy Hershey's. Yep. And Hershey's, we decide, is worth $10 million. Yes. Now I am get money from you. You would get money from, if you're Blackstone, from, you would get money from Morgan Stanley. Call it like, if it's worth $10 million, you yeah. said. So $7.5 million worth of debt two different tranches, maybe like a senior term loan and then some unsecured junior debt below that. And then 25% or 2.5 million of that would be um, equity. And that equity is what Blackstone invests. 
And the reason they do that is because they can take the cash flows from Hershey's and then they can pay down that debt over time. And even if there's really barely any growth in that yeah. company, then it's a positive return because the equity starts to take up a larger portion of the cap table. So they want to buy it as a mortgage rather than just with their cash. Oh, yeah. That's the whole model. It's called a leveraged buyout. So why don't they just... So, and they so that way they'll buy ten companies rather than one. Oh yeah, for sure. Same. Because if you have a hundred million dollars and you only have to put up twenty five percent per company, right? You can buy whatever four times more companies. And does Morgan Stanley do it to the other way around? Uh, Morgan Stanley does have a private equity group as well, so they'll go out and buy companies. But it's but they mostly, won't borrow money from Blackstone, though, BlackRock, or whatever. Well, they might. They might be borrow, funny. They might borrow money. Well, yeah, you t- yeah. There's uh, there's a lot forth. of leverage sloshing around in this system. It's money on money. But I wanted to. Uh, did I wa- you become a billionaire? <laughs> did I become a billionaire? Yeah. No, I didn't. I gave up before I became a billionaire. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. You know, I looked around <laughs> and I. <laughs> I'm not there yet. But I want to know. I want to know something, Douglas. Yeah. Why are you such a spoiled sport? <laughs> In what way? How am I spoiled? <laughs> you- <laughs> I read the book. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously, I mean, why uh, do I see through this game? I mean, this in an endearing, yeah, endearing. Why don't I way. participate in the competitive game of, well, of our society? Well, what, or what is it about spoiled sports that's so important? Well, I mean, it was Huizinga. Was this? Uh, he was a, a guy who wrote a book called Homo Ludens, and that book it was written right, right before the Nazis. In uh, he was a Dutch philosopher, and uh, he thought that the the essence of humanity was play. That we're not Homo sapiens, man the knower. We're Homo ludens, man the player. Ah, and that we we misinterpret play. That we think that like dogs play in order to practice for the hunt. And he said, no, dogs hunt in order to have enough like calories so they can get to play. You know, mm. the play is the end game, not the the means to an end. And that real play can't have like stakes to it. It has to be for the sake of it, for the sake of its own just the fun of play. And uh, he looked at society and these sort of games that we play, like capitalism would be this game, but that we we hate cheaters less than we hate spoil sports. Because cheaters, at least by cheating, they demonstrate that the game has some kind of value to it, that it's important, mm. important enough to cheat. If you're just a spoil sport and you don't recognize the game at all, you're just like, this is stupid. That's much more threatening to the status quo because you're challenging the whole presumption mm. on which society is based. Cheaters still want to play the game. They, they just don't want, they to, want to play by their own rules, but they want to win. They understand. Yeah. They, they share the same outcome bias or the, desire, the same desires as right. the other people playing the game. And spoiled sports choose not to play the game. They don't value the stakes of the game at all. Hmm. And I don't value the stakes of this game. And what's the game that we're playing we're versus playing? the game that you're playing? Well, the game that they're playing is a, it's not a game even. It's a, I mean, I guess it is, but they forgot. It's competing for scarce resources, mm. you know, in a survival of the fittest battle. Mm. And that's not good. And it will kill us all. I don't know. Like, I actually think the, the best players at that particular game are the ones that recognize that it is in fact a game. Like, for example, you know, hedge fund managers that are successful only are, I think the most successful hedge fund managers are successful because they actually find it to be enjoyable. 
to be playing that game over right. and over and over and over. The ones that are just in it for potentially stri- – I mean, they're in it for the money and that's the scoreboard that they keep. Yeah. But, you know, if you go and you're like, I want to be a hedge fund manager because of money, you might not be successful unless you actually enjoy that. Oh, yeah. But once you get game, once you winning. get to say, you know, Mark Cuban or Jeff Bezos level yeah. wealth, is the way for Jeff Bezos to create the greatest good for the most people at this time to continue playing the Amazon game the way he's been playing it? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that there's probably a more benevolent form of, of even just capitalism that he could be practicing that doesn't need to, you know, impoverish so many people or, or turn them into little task rabbits. When we think about, when I think about Jeff Bezos, I think about, you know, increasing the minimum wage at his company to $15 per worker, right? Um, driving the conversation forward in that way while potentially taking over the entire world. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah but his, the people who get to work in his company are inside the moat. Hmm. You know, what about the millions that are on Amazon Turks, you know, or that are supposed to be somehow just servicing that machine? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And even 15 is not that much, given hmm. how much there is in there. <laughs> yeah. Or how much, I mean, does he, have, he doesn't have a trillion yet, but he's almost there. For himself. Yeah. So, I mean, what is the, how do we move from a system that's driven by more, more, more to, I want to, when I think about this, I'm like thinking of what system we would move to and I don't have the answer, right? So what is the system that we move to? You mentioned um, tech cooperatives. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't just pick a single system and say, okay, let's transition from this to Mm -hmm. that. You know, if I were going to, I'd probably say, sure, you know, anarcho-syndicalism, you know, networked cottage mm. businesses that are only growing as big as they need to grow to function, that we're not growing companies in order to sell the companies, but we're growing companies in order to provide goods and services to people, mm. which is just not the way we do it now. Now, the company is the equity, right? Yeah. It's And so how do you get there? You know, you would you would reverse the capital gains tax with the dividends tax. That'd be one easy way so that instead of rewarding people for selling their businesses, you reward them for selling goods and services or for working. You know, you'd reward shareholders for getting dividends rather than right now they shun dividends. They just want to. Yeah, they want to buy back shares, increase the value of the equity. Right. And then they want to sell their shares for the money and have a, a, short, a very low level of tax for a one or two year holding, you know, oh, my work is I'm going to hold the stock for you know, 18 months, you know, it's what's so interesting. You've, you, you know, I I saw your Ted talk as well. And you reference speaking to a room of tech billionaires, not even a room. I mean, five of them, five of them who are asking you about their, um, their escape plan. Right. When the system, when the system falls apart, the event, how, how do you get into that room? What, you know, why are they listening to you when you clearly have no respect for the game that they're playing? Oh, because they don't really have respect for the game that they're playing either. I mean, mm. if they really respected the game that they're playing, then they wouldn't be building bunkers. You know, that's the end, end game of the <laughs> game that they're playing, right? Mm. And it is. I mean, you think about it as a poker game. 
if it, if they were the last five, which they're not, they were just mid-level billionaires. They're not like, you know, Bezos, <laughs> Musk billionaires. Okay. So they, they so just just mid-level billionaires. They don't get to build. They're not building rocket ships to get off the planet. They're not okay. that rich. Okay. You know, they could try to get a seat on one of Branson's, mm. right? But that's that's a low-level billionaire at this point because there's a couple thousand billionaires, right? Okay. So they they weren't they weren't the best of breed. As, oh, we, as you'd put it. But they're coming to me because they know that, that, that I've been right about a lot of things in the future. Hmm. So they're still just trying to place their bets. You know, they look at it as a, a, an 80-20 sort of situation where there's a 20% chance that the event happens in their lifetime. So they're going to invest 20% of their, of their money in those safety plays. And then who do, who are you going to ask? I'm not the only one they're asking what to do. I'm sure they, you know. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? Um, I don't know if it's that they're afraid, but what they're what they're looking forward to is is you know climate change, social unrest, uh, uh, China, electromagnetic pulse, you know, just calamity. They've and these are all threat. these are all threats that are constantly growing and building in the background. But right. they're Thanks afraid. largely to the very business activities these guys are involved in. Hmm. You know what I mean? They're trying to, to build a car that could go fast enough to escape their own exhaust. You know? <laughs> and they kind of can't do it. What kind of businesses are these guys in? Some of them are in your business. Which you business know, these, is that? My business I don't understand. Oh, the money, the money, money movement. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, the money movement. Like, it's not my business anymore. Yeah, but they're like you know, <laughs> you know, banker, hedge fund. There was a couple of tech people, but mostly investor people. Not, you know, the people who are right on about one thing. So it's like if you bet early, you're twenty million on Salesforce.com. Now you've got twenty billion. Yeah, and now what? and all of a sudden you've achieved status. Your words are received with a certain level of respect for one decision. Right. right? And the guy who bet on, you know, nailsforce.com. <laughs> nobody gets I think I, I remember betting on that one. That's probably <laughs> why we're here right now. <laughs> but I'm sure they were, you know what I mean? I'm sure there were skill wise. I'm sure there was no, the people who bet on the winner, the, the lone winner, were not any more skilled than the people who bet on the loser. I do like to see some of these successful founders chalking up um, their success to luck. You know, I mean, there is an element of skill, right? We all, yeah. I think we can appreciate when someone's good at something and want to give them credit for that. But there's also luck, um, especially in that world. And so I, I'm always also impressed the luck of with where founders. were they born to get to be a person who got to do that investment? Hmm. You know, so it's like, okay, if you're, you know, middle class white yeah. male. Right, who got to go to college and got out of college without a lot of debt and got to intern for two years at Goldman, you know, you're in a different place. And so then, yeah, you made a right bet. But, you know, the kid, the kid who couldn't get the basketball scholarship to get out of, you know, the ghetto didn't have those same chances. Yeah, Warren Warren Buffett calls it the the birth lottery, maybe, I think is what he calls it. Yeah. Good way to describe it. There's a lot. I mean, and, and do you feel that these gentlemen don't have an appreciation for that? Maybe they do. Yeah. Maybe they do. It hasn't changed their their behavior. Mm-hmm. They're just afraid. You know, they feel that they need to earn enough money to insulate themselves from reality. 
And I understand that. I mean, even as a as a middle class person, half of me wants to just, you know, be part of Extinction Rebellion or Sunrise mm-hmm. Movement and dedicate my life to that. And the other half of me is thinking, gosh, I'd love to, you know, die with a million bucks to pass something on to my daughter because who knows what the world's going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, in 20, 30 years. I always think about this. I had two friends in college. Um two of my closest friends, one of them, uh, you know, both of them wanted to be out of the system. One of them wanted to play the game, beat the game, and then make his own game. The other one wanted to just stop playing the game, yeah. right? Kind of not the cheater versus the spoiled sport, spoiled sport yeah. but kind of, you know, maybe just... Well, if you leave the game, you are a spoiled sport. That's what, I mean, the mob doesn't let you out. You know, yeah. once you're, if you leave the game, you are devaluing the game for the rest of them. So, I mean, why are we not seeing more, you know, of these billionaires, more of these, you know, we talk about the, the you know, you talk about in your book, the um, techno-humanists. Is that what you call them? Kind of like the humane, the Center for Humane Technology yeah. and that, right? Trying to kind of like te- the man with the hammer, everything is a nail. Yeah. Right, but why don't we see to me I, I feel like Tristan Harris and what he's doing is is important work. Um why don't we see more technologists, more billionaires now that they've beat the game so yeah. to speak coming out and saying, "Hey, let's let's shake things up." Yeah, I mean shaking it's weird though. I mean they're they're I wonder if the humane technology that whole movement helps or hurts. And that it's still looking at things from the perspective of how technology is treating the people. You know, we're still the passive kind of domesticated animals. So Mm. let's make technology that's less abusive. But it sort of accepts the given that these companies will be there. And I don't know, something about the, the, the energy or the context of that movement, it still feels... Like it's something coming out of B.J. Fogg's department at Stanford to me. Mm. Like, you know, all right, so now we've, you know, used behavioral psychology to make people hate each other. Let's use behavioral psychology to, you know, make people not hate each other so much. Or uh, it's like they're accepting as a given that these companies have to make a ton of money and that they're the ones who are going to be running our world. But let's just go in there and. I don't know. I just don't feel like it works. I remember years ago, this friend of mine, Adam Werbach, who was uh, the youngest like president of the Sierra Club. Okay. Got, what's, what's the Sierra Club? It's like an environmentalist okay. group. It's big, you know, like World Wildlife Federation. And that's a, okay. and a great environmentalist thinker. And he got hired by Walmart to be like head of their Walmart Green mm-hmm. Initiative. And the Walmart Green Initiative ended up being them encouraging their employees to carpool or their employees to give money to things. And it it wasn't about changing Walmart's fundamental operation of just getting stuff from China and shipping it to the States. And when he took the job, a lot of us were like, I don't know if this is going to work. This might. And he's like, no, no, we've got faith. And, And they hired him just to greenwash themselves. That was. Yeah. He got used that way. And I feel like some of these efforts... Did he leave? Yeah. 
eventually, yeah, he, of course he left eventually, yeah, yeah disillusioned and whatever. Hmm. But, I don't know, I, my, my belief in sort of changing these companies from the inside is, is, I have a low faith in that. So, so what is the solution or, you know, well, what is the, the solution you, or a solution? What do you, you know, why, why did you write? Increase our cultural resiliency, trying to strengthen the human organism, you know, yeah. rather than telling companies to treat people better. I'm asking people to build up their own strength, establish rapport with each other, find solidarity, change our, our values, start looking at yourself as having intrinsic value and worth which most of us don't right now. Most of us think we need to accomplish something or provide something in order to have value. And we don't. I think we come in with value. You have value. Thanks. I'm tearing up over Just here, the actually. Way you are. Literally, it's the first time <laughs> I've heard that in years. I'm so excited about that. I know. And now we're even told that even telling a child that is a bad thing. Oh, that that's the coddle generation, that you told them that they're worth something. You know, yeah. I'm not talking about giving someone a soccer trophy, even if they yeah, lost. If they lost. You know, that's not a, that's you, you're undermining that game. Then you know, you give it to the kid who won. That's fine, but losing doesn't mean you don't have value. Yeah. But how you know you mentioned that a human is not the value of a human is not his or her utility, mm. right? It's not. It's not what we are able to do or offer. Right. Like the value of a stock might be its utility. Hmm. You know, it's a different person's not that. Or a cryptocurrency. Yeah. <laughs> I know how you feel about, about blockchain. And, yeah, and well, that is another tech solution. Go with good health. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so is that why you wrote Team Human and why you're doing what you're doing with your podcast? And you've been on a lot of shows recently. You were just on Sam Harris. I listened to yeah. that episode. You know, what is the message that, if you had to distill it down, what is the message that you're trying to deliver and why are you trying to deliver it? I mean, the main thing I'm trying to say is that, you know, being human is a team sport and that if if you mm. can just stick with other people in the real world, make eye contact, establish rapport, breathe together, then you become part of the great conspiracy of human beings against these these operating systems that are are optimized for our failure. They're optimized to to extract value and consciousness from us. And that there's still uh, there's still a few more scenes in this play, I think. You know, I think there's still mm. some some opportunity for for even a sustainable future i think humanity can squeeze through this it's also i mean another reason i'm doing it from a more pessimistic angle is you know if we're going into a true true dark age i want to at least create a few uh, instruments or vehicles or mechanisms for uh, there to be some continuity between this age and the next so even if there's a, a terrible culling and, you know, and tragedy that there's some way to, to, to carry this through. I mean, I look at, I look at our civilization now as moving from, it's very biblical, really, you know, a few people left 
Egypt, you know, to be. You reference the, you know, you reference the Passover story quite a bit in, in your book. Yeah, well, that's the Jewish story, basically. It's the Passover story. But to move through the desert, I mean, they had to go, you know, 40 years, two generations. And here we are on Easter Sunday, yeah. by the way, the Last Supper having been a, a Seder. But they had to keep that alive before they got to the next place. You yeah. know, we're going to be in an in-between place after whatever happens, happens. So you so you fundamentally believe that there's something coming. There's something on I the horizon. I think we're in something. We're in it already, and we don't even yeah. realize it. Is yeah. it political? Is it is it climate change? Is it it's a lot of things? You know, it's because a lot you of touch things. on so many different topics. You know, it's like yeah, one but they're all the almost others. the same thing. I mean, it's 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 the end of a very linear progress oriented approach to the world. You know that the West kind of came up with along with the Judeo Christian mm. model. You know, when we when we went from being, you know, a circular uh, circular society to a linear one, you know, that was the, the invention of text allowed us to have history uh, from, you know, to record the past and contracts to predict the future. It, it set up a linear understanding of our world. And what the, uh, the you know, the Israelite sages tried to do is to say, OK, if we're going to go linear, then let's think of progress in terms of social justice. Right. It's not about building, uh, uh, you know, Tower, Tower of Babel. Mm. It's about having the world have more justice each year as you as you get closer and closer to Jerusalem, to the state of total but social what, justice. What is social justice? Social justice is is a universal human dignity. And what is a universal human dignity? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's like, like, let's really like peel well, it back. Like, in one what way, does that... it's not hating people if they're gay or have brown colored skin. You know, it's obviously the dissolution of national boundaries and these these mm. sort of so lunatic... moving to moving to a global or local or local. Yeah, I mean, just treating other people as as living humans, not enslaving others. Mm. You know, universal social justice. You wouldn't buy smartphones that are made by little Chinese children or. Yes, who who have to use a chemical that's completely toxic so they can remove their fingerprints. Fingerprints, isn't that a wild one? I found that out from Basman Abel. That is crazy to me. Could you imagine like opening your phone and seeing fingerprints? And, you know, I, I can't think the majority of people would have a negative reaction to that. But if they knew that the reason why their phone looks so pristine when it comes out of the box is because these workers need to wipe it down with a chemical that is literally toxic. Yeah. Just so that it looks like no one touched it. Right. It's crazy. I know. Well, that's industrialism, though. It's getting humans out of the out of the equation. You don't want people thinking about that. And that's since, you know, Victorian era. But, but the, you know, or the dumbwaiter, where the, the slaves the, are, are out of sight. Yes. The, you, Thomas Jefferson and the yeah. dumbwaiter. And, the, you know, you don't need to see them serving you food now. They can just bring it up on a rope. But, but if we're, you know... If the goal of industrial society is to remove the human from the process of, of production, doesn't that then leave room for play? Right? Like, isn't it now? Isn't it the would, goal but it doesn't really to... remove humans. It just removes human dignity. There's still tons of humans getting wiped out. It mm. removes humans from, from sight. It removes humans from the value equation. So you could, yeah, you have a few people getting a lot of stuff and everybody else on TaskRabbit bringing it to them. I mean, when I think about when I think about technology, I, I feel 
I think I'm a technologist at heart. Like I believe in maybe, you know, it's weird because I, I'm a practiced yogi and I believe in reincarnation fundamentally. And so I believe in a, in a circular reality. Um, but yet I also do believe that technology is, is moving us forward from a progress standpoint. And we may have just strayed from the right path from, you know, creating clean water supply and abundant food sources to creating infinite content that we're all hooked to and, you know, and we just keep coming back to our phones. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is I think we need to shift from the largest companies in the world are essentially just vehicles for advertising to the largest companies in the world are ones like Memphis Meats that's creating, you know, abundant food supply for humanity so that no one will starve. Like that's technological progress to me. What do you what do you say about that? Or am I just blabbering? Because I, I definitely know. am. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried that there's so many. There's so many of us well-meaning, well-educated, fairly articulate white guys. I was just going to say white guys. Who are filling up the podcast airwaves mm. with our stuff. You know, I just <laughs> last night watched this as much as I could tolerate of this, this, what was billed as this kind of heavyweight intellectual debate between, and they kept saying Dr. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Dr. Jordan Sam Peterson Harris. and Dr. Zizek. Oh, okay. And Zizek is one who at least I'm supposed to like, right? Cause he's Lacanian Marxist Leninist, you know, mm. he's the left's one. And, I, I couldn't even take it anymore. And then this friend of mine said, all right, all right, don't watch that. Um, look at this. And he showed me um, What Russell could you Brand. take about it? It was the intellectual psychobabble of two people that just are smelling their own farts, basically. Well, you said that, <laughs> not me. I agree that, I mean, Jordan Peterson... I haven't Peterson, watched this, by the way. It's so like Jordan Peterson trying to, you know, without any... Uh, uh, intellectual credibility trying to deconstruct Marxism on the fly and uh, Zizek I don't, I don't even really know what Zizek was doing and you know defending I guess uh, some defending the subconscious I guess or psychology and even psychology itself started to feel stupid to me and then I, I watched uh Two guys who I generally agree with too, uh, Russell Brand and and on Joe Rogan. Weren't you just on Russell Russell Brand's yeah. show as well? Which was yeah, fun. I, mean, I love I love his work. You know, I'm, yeah. I think what he's doing is important. But anyways, continue. Yes. And Joe Rogan to some extent, yes although and Joe no. I think promotes yes some no. weird ideas. I mean, he's obviously the Russell Brand's important for sure, and bringing great things and. It, it's fun to watch someone involved in inquiry, but I just feel like there's too much of this uh, noise. <laughs> yeah, or even, you know, it, it's just, just, I guess it's fine. It's the way some people are waking up now. I just don't know if, if, uh, 
the, the when I start to question how my stuff is not more of that is when I start to question whether I should keep doing it. Mm-hmm. In other words, if another 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 stream of of the same old. I mean, what I was what I was trying to think was different about what I was doing was that it's it's a more that I'm trying to demonstrate team human in action. What does it mean to engage alive with another person, to recognize their humanity, especially people that I don't necessarily agree agree with, to really resonate with them. So I was feeling like, oh, I'm doing something maybe different, but I think maybe only on half the shows am I doing that. The other half could be conversations on anybody's on anybody's podcast. Well, I think, I mean, I think about that a lot. You know, and I think about being a charlatan a lot and especially because, you know, the reason I'm doing this or started doing this was because I was on a documentary about having gotten conned, you know, and participating in this music festival that was, oh right, right, that was like, you know, not even, it was like a thousand, it was 1500 people or something like that. Right. It wasn't, but because it was on social media, it was just, it exploded. Right. And then and then having participated in the modern media machine with a Netflix documentary against the Hulu right. documentary and seeing how that competition between those platforms telling the same story just a little bit differently, you know, led to an explosion of interest. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm here. And of course, maybe I have no right to be talking mm-hmm. about some of these things. Um, and, and that's OK. But then, you know, using social media as a tool to talk about the challenges of social media, I'm like, am I a hypocrite? Um, you know, going up on stage to do a TED talk, right, is, you know, know. to I tell really the same message. Because I've been pissing on TED for many years. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then they finally asked me to do one. And I'm like, well, now what do I do? You know. But it's about awareness, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's what we can fall back on. So, yeah, like, there's maybe, like, you know, 100,000 TED Talks now, and they all talk about the same five to 10 cliches. But I think that those cliches are fundamental truths of humanity that that every time someone repackages it in their own words, maybe it connects with one person. So what you're doing is important, in my opinion, because you're connecting with that one person, and that's all that matters. And then that ripples out to every person that they connect with on Team Human. Right. And like, so, yeah, we we get stuck in I get stuck in this this jaded. I haven't even launched this podcast yet. I've recorded six episodes. Uh-huh. I'm like I listen to them like, you know, why am I doing this as well? Why am I why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I have a little platform and that's an ego thing? Possibly. Well, the question is, I mean, <laughs> we're using these scalable technologies to do something that everyone can't do at, at scale. You know, so Russell Brand has whatever, 2 million people listen to his podcast. I have 50,000 listen to my podcast. And not everybody can even do 50,000 person ones or 10,000 person ones. Yeah, that you would know, be a so, dream, 50,000 people listen right. to this show. That'd be cool. But why? I don't if know. I'm going to really <laughs> walk the walk, though, I've reached enough people. I've written 20 books. I've made television documentaries. I've showed up on all this stuff. My My basic spiel has been out there so what does walking the walk look like just engage with the people like come face to face with in real life and don't worry about anything else Hmm. i mean i get to teach classes at city university of new york and reach a couple hundred people a year that way 
should be more than enough. In other words, what it's almost like it's almost like blitz scaling for idea for team human is like counter to what you're trying to say. Right. I put the message out there and reach the people I'm going to reach. And now I can try to pedal to the metal. And I mean, a lot of people came up and said, Oh, you know, uh, I mean, I get emails all the time about, Oh, here's how we could scale your message or let's do team human, uh, conferences or yeah for sure blah and this and that WME and the other is hitting you up or uta <laughs> they want to do a tour oh that'd be great they're not um, <laughs> but it's you know non-commercially things but in order to what you know it's not that i don't believe in the in the idea or the meme or the process or whatever it is but there's i'm keenly aware of what constitutes forcing it you know when promotion, when 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 solid love of the idea becomes leveraged, as you might put it, mm. you know, it's like uh, <laughs> uh, the Est training. I did that way back when, before it was like Landmark. Now it's one of those oh, self-improvement yeah, kind of things. I was just talking about Landmark with two of my friends on the way up here. And what they do is MITT. Yeah, people take it and then to graduate or to finish. You're basically required to enlist other people in it because their logic is, yeah, if it was meaningful to you, then you would naturally spread it to others. And if you're not spreading it to others, it means you didn't really get it. So it's the ultimate MLM. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's It's the MLM where you're really just, as Werner Earhart would have put it originally, the founder, just selling people back to themselves. Mm. There's nothing even there except... What a phenomenal idea. Yeah. He was basically, he was a car salesman and he said, oh, you know, I realize what I'm, I'm not really selling cars to people. I'm selling them. Their dreams. Their dreams. Selling them back to themselves uh, in the, so what about doing that without the product? But isn't that all. That's self-hypnosis. Isn't that all philosophy? Like why do great philosophers write their works? Well, it depends. I mean, philosophy went down such a dark path. I mean, the intellectual path brought us to fascism hmm. you know and that's where where yeah, you poor know, nietzsche i don't think he i don't think he intended for that to happen. no but that's where that's where it went you know and that's why you know levinas who was kind of a post uh world war ii philosopher psychologist said oh the the only way to restore this tradition is through human intimacy hmm. through the warmth of uh human to human and it can't be this purely we're not going to solve our way out of this mm. there is no there is no oh sorry whenever you say what's the solution there is no solution there's solidarity there's comfort back Presence. to judaism you know they, they there's this great medieval prayer called the unitana tokef that they do every uh uh rosh hashanah and yom kippur it's mm. this famous prayer where they go it is you know on on rosh hashanah it is written on yom kippur it is sealed who will live and who will die and who, who gets had, in the book of yeah, life. Yeah, the book of life, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, God's everybody just book. thinks, oh <laughs> shoot, I got to pray so I get in the good book, not the bad book. And the one, <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is at only, the end, at the end of it man. says, uh, uh, only through, uh, like Ruach, through, through, you know, compassion with each mm. other can we lessen the severity of the decree. So what they're saying is, Whatever's going to happen is going to fucking happen. All that we have is power over whether it's how cruel it's going to be, how cruel nature 
is going to be to each other. And mm -hmm. the way we can lessen that cruelty is by being there, you know, by being compassionate with each other. Yeah. And that's like, oh, shoot. Well, that idea of compassion, you know, permeates all religions. Right. In and that's yoga, why it's, it's not ahim just ahimsa. Right. But that's why it's not all just bullshit. When you're saying, isn't that just all religions? The compassion part is what's there. The solidarity, the community, the, mm. the fraternity is part of what's there. I mean, 12 steps, you can't do 12 steps alone with the book. You got to go to the meetings. For sure. And the same thing, I mean, the same thing about studying Talmud or studying the Bhagavad Gita, right? Like you're, you know, you owe, we can tend to over-intellectualize these things. I certainly do. You know, I read them and not to mention, you know, bringing it back to social media, you know, I've <laughs> trying to find my own voice, you know, for this platform. I don't, again, go, why? Yeah. I don't know. But like, you know, our arbitrary quotes, you know, from great thinkers and great texts alone enough, you know, to inspire, or are they just feeding, are there's new data, new fuel for this machine that's going round and round and round? Um, for me, it's going round and round and round. And it's weird because I have, I'm in that strange place of being famous enough to be in constant demand, hmm. yet not quite famous enough to call my own shots. So it's like, I'm sure Russell Brand is invited to be at 100 podcasts a day. Yeah, Russell Brand gets to gets to, And he picks one a month, maybe. He'll go on. He'll go on. Well, you probably Rogan. get invited to a ton. I mean, I'm getting invited to yeah. billions. But I was really like, again, thank you for coming. Oh, here. sure. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to. Now what I'm doing is what, what I'm about, only taking one if I can cross off two others. Can I, can I get an honest, like, why did you decide? Why did you agree to come on this show? Because I cold emailed you. Uh, and, and because this guy, I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, this guy who's working with me said that the um, uh, that the documentary you were in was cool. So then I started to watch that, and I was like, "Oh fuck you! You were you went through it. Yeah, a little you know, bit. you went through it. I mean, not as bad as the guy from Ghost Ship. From, from what? <laughs> ghost 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 you know the Ghost Ship? No, there was a Ghost Ship fire in Oakland where all these kids died in a rave. Oh wow! And then the cult leader. Of the ghost ship and his number one assistant, kind of your your character, um, they got put in jail. Wow! Because it wasn't just a, a people yeah, died. Was, yeah, people died, and that was something that I felt we were really lucky about. You know, the worst thing that happened was like someone stepped on a sea urchin. You know, we had we had like twenty doctors who could didn't have a license to to practice in the Bahamas. They were hanging out by the pool. I got a call from the hotel that told me that the doctors were hammered at the hotel and they were acting up and almost got kicked out. <laughs> this group of 20 <laughs> so anyways, it doesn't, it was a mess. So, so it was the documentary that brought it, which is fine. I right? guess. It, yeah. And it was a little different. And, and cause I had to be in the city now anyway, cause my daughter's at this play. Yeah. She's watching the book of Mormon. She's watching the book of Mormon. It's cool. Yeah. I saw I that know. a few years back. I know. I don't it's know, a fun one. It's not really appropriate for her though. There's the guy who gets the book of Mormon up his butt. And <laughs> Yeah, they uh, you know, F, they they do a big fuck you to God, like yeah. Well, that's that fine. One? She's an atheist. Okay, cool. So that's fine. She's more of an atheist than I am. Mm. I don't think she believes in any. Uh, although she still believes in. Um, so you would consider yourself an atheist, theories, not though. not a, not an agnostic. I don't know what I am, but she's an atheist. <laughs> she's an atheist, but she uh, she believes that fairies once existed. Oh, interesting. She thinks they went extinct, though. They went extinct. Yeah. Like the children of the forest kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, that, 
that, I mean that that makes sense, right? Like I, <laughs> why would why would they want to be here? You know, well, if they were interdimensional, it'd be fine. Maybe they are interdimensional. Yeah, I mean, like what are those ones? Maybe called? we're all interdimensional. What do they call those little ones in Buddhism devas? Ah, Aren't yeah. they these little fairy kind of people? Devas, they are. Yes, that's interesting. I um. You know, I, I think about this all the time. I'm, I was a big Planet Earth fan. I'm sure I mentioned this yeah. in another episode before, but I'm just going to keep repeating the same shit over and over for 100 episodes. They just did so another one, lists. right? They just did another one. So there's the Deep Oceans episode. And um, they show this creature just floating in the deep ocean. And basically they're like, this creature is essentially invisible to every other creature at this depth because it emits a light that other creatures can't see. And so I think about that all the time and I'm like, you know, if I had to use one proof for the idea that there are spirits beyond our perception or ghosts, this is it. We're floating in our own fluid right now. We're in air, right? And yeah, so what? I can't see what else is out there, but that doesn't mean it's not there. We have instruments. We have instruments? Like what kind of instruments? (laughs) EM, EM. uh, Another episode I was doing, we were talking about the electromagnetic soup that uh, is is killing all of us slowly right now. Yeah. (laughs) It is though. I know it's not. It's probably not funny. My phone now says five G E. You're on five G. Five G E. It's like AT and T's hack at five G. It's apparently complete marketing bullshit. It's not really five. It's not really five G. But still, I mean, it's uh, Samsung's making five G. I mean, where you live, I'm guessing. Do you have good cell service up where you live? No. Okay, good. But guess what? It's coming. (laughs) I know. You thought you could hide. Well, I was looking. I was looking. There's like. Devices you can buy for your home that are supposed to help protect you from the badness. Yeah. But there's all these different strategies. One of them, this woman makes it, like, ionizes the water in your skin. So then you repel, your body repels the stuff. But then what does it mean when you ionize the your skin? Is that good or bad for you? Either? I don't know. I mean, and... Yeah, it's just we're not going to do anything about it until people start coming with like lumps on the side of their heads and things like that from cell phone use or, you know, like until there's scientific evidence. Right. As opposed to just like Trump being president and everybody being crazy. That's not enough. (laughs) Well, there's a there's a a Trump tweet from 2014 over there. It says, uh, is a president. Are we allowed to impeach a president for incompetence? He tweeted that in 2014 yeah. about Obama. So I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, sad. man. This isn't, this isn't about politics, though. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. No, I mean, the, the politics, like, it's, just, it's more just the madness. Yeah. You know, I think people are experiencing themselves in a state of great incoherence right now. And I guess what I'm looking at is if I'm a canary in the coal mine is, I mean, I... I just had a book come out, so I understand why I would be crazy, right? So from that, from really from December through now, I've been doing, you know, an average of maybe three podcasts a day and wow. traveling to one or two cities. Yeah, it's no wonder you're you're tired. <laughs> you're tired right. of, of so, everything you've been saying. So you're already ready for the out. next book. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> burned out, and I don't see. I was already burned out before I started, and I wrote this book. As kind of this last, it's really a coda in a way. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an end cap to this last twenty years of inquiry. So what are you going to do now? Are you just going to fade know. away into 
you know, into your home and, and just keep it quiet and not be out in the public anymore? Know. What do you want to do? I don't know. You I know? mean, I would like to be... You have uh, this podcast. I mean, it's it's doing well. You're, you're going strong. Well. You're just going to... Doing well. It's doing good. It has 50,000 people listening to it. I guess that's the point, right? If it resonates with one fifty thousandth of those guests every episode, then you've positively affected 100 people potentially. Right. What's wrong with that? I'm trying to be the optimist here. <laughs> no, nothing's, no, nothing's wrong necessarily with it. It's just, I mean, I, I started the podcast. The whole point was to use the platform that I've created over the last 20 years to give voice to other people. Hmm. And that was it. It's like, well, so why don't I? And I've done that to some extent. I mean, it started out with way more of a social justice vibe to it. You know, here's someone doing the debt, rolling debt jubilee. And here's the people working on green this or local yeah, prison, currency. Prison and reform. It, and it, it, yeah. And it has kind of, you know, shifted over time, partly because the Team Human book manifesto thing came out. It's, it's moved more towards ideas so maybe it's not a podcast. We'll like maybe you're beyond like, you know, you've moved beyond the awareness phase, right? Maybe phase one is awareness and then phase two is action. Right. Or some kind of practice. I don't know. I just, um, and the other thing I didn't realize with the podcast is most of these people, even Russell Brand, whatever, they do seasons. I've just did it every week for the oh, last. Oh, they do seasons? Yeah. I just did, I've been doing it every week for the last two and a half years. No They'll way. They'll do like eight or ten of them and then take eight or ten weeks off. I didn't know that. Joe, does Joe Rogan do seasons or Sam Harris? Even he does. I mean, but Joe Rogan, um, Joe Rogan's is pretty much easier for him. He just has this studio right near his home and he goes in and they... And people, they, they come. Bring him. Yeah. They come. They come. You have and to go out and find says, Right. Yeah. When he says and that... Because what, what a platform that guy's built. I mean, what He's a He's got millions of people listen to each one. I mean, yeah. if you have millions of people listening to each one, then, I mean, and he just sits down, you know, gets stoned with somebody and... I'm sorry we didn't get stoned today. I mean, we could have, like, you know, I was just kidding. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you're a yogi, though. Do you, do you smoke pot while you're a yogi? Um, I don't really smoke weed anymore. I, I did when I was younger. Um, it makes me super paranoid. Really? Honestly. Yeah, it gets really heady for me. But you do yoga. But I do yoga. Have you yeah. ever done yoga in an altered state? I have done yoga in an altered state, yes. Does it work? Still? Man, does it work. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, I have to say the best experience that I've had with cannabis, because it's not weed yeah. anymore, it's cannabis. Yeah. You know, it's legal in California, is um is me- is meditating um on cannabis. You know, the uh it was very powerful. It was a very powerful experience. I had maybe even an out-of-body experience, I yeah. would say. It was cool. And cannabis is like light. What's up? Does it count as meditation then? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I probably, I don't know if Yogananda would have approved of it. Right. But <laughs> it's funny. I, I but read, it's an exploration uh, nonetheless, right? I read David a, Lynch's book, uh, Catching the Big Fish. Ooh, I want to read that. It's really intense. It's really big super Twin small. Peaks. It's Twin small Peaks like human. Like, it's easy to easy way through. But it's basically an argument for uh, why you should meditate. Mm. He talks a little bit about... He's big into TM, right? Right. That's the thing. Transcendental Meditation, which is, you know, Maharishi's... I listened to Tom Knowles' podcast, speaking of podcasts. Yeah. I just heard him interview this guy. Do you know Eddie Stern out of New York City? Mm -hmm. He started the Ashtanga movement in New York. Two masters of yoga going, you know, not head to head, but, 
you know, really speaking their truth. So if, if Tom's out there doing a podcast and you know, he was the Maharishi's, you know, right hand man, uh-huh. I don't know, maybe it's the right thing. Maybe it's the time for, for conscious aw- awakening. Maybe it's the time for, for people like you just to continue to speak out. Yeah. I think the whole trick though is, is to do it on, on, it's hard, but to do to it on do one's it. own schedule mm. rather than, uh, Oh, if I don't do it every week. I thought you were going to say to do it on psychedelics. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what Rogan does. Yeah, basically. Rogan show is basically, have, have you ever done DMT? <laughs> he asks that of everybody, doesn't he? Uh, he does, yeah. Yeah. Did he ask you? Yeah. And then he what swims pot with you right before, and then um, he pushes the, the, the ashtray out of the Oh, shot. interesting. Interesting. Sure so everyone's high. So it's not just Elon that's smoking weed. No, everybody's high. He when I went there, I asked him for everybody. He said, "Yeah, everyone got high except um, Daniel Pinchbeck." No oh, way! Pinchbeck, what? Come on! I was thinking about having Daniel on the show one day. Maybe that could be cool. I'm sure he'd do it. He'd do it. I just saw him and Graham Hancock speaking actually. Uh, but that's another example. I mean, and that's part of it. When I'm when I'm sitting there, and I'm not to say he's not a nice person or whatever. Um, everyone can judge for themselves, but when I'm sitting there with him on, on, and did his podcast, that was another one of those experiences where I'm like, if on Rogan show or on pinchback, on pinchback show, like, he has a podcast. Is, yeah. And I've just started to feel it was even during that, hmm. that it's like, well, if, if he's a mirror of what I'm doing, hmm. then I don't want to be doing this. What was it about that experience that made you feel that way? intellectual masturbatory self-aggrandizing look at me suck my dick i'm great you know this is it becomes and it's real easy to do but 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 i can get caught up in it too it's like it's like competitive conversationalism oh do you know what i mean it's like it's not truly conversation that's like that's like twitter it's some weird cock blocking kind of a it and it feels really really white and male to me but I'm sure women do it, but it just starts well, to feel like it was what that Jordan Peterson Zizek debate of the heavyweight intellectuals, what well, that felt like. Here's to a me. question about that debate. Um, did either of them give give ground or concede points or say, you know yeah. what, you know what, that, that they makes sense. They agreed that they both thought, they agreed with each other, that they both thought um, it was highly likely that the human race was going extinct. Okay, well, that's a, that's a positive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, they blame slightly different things, but uh, they thought that that was sort of where it was going, hmm. and that's why it was just like it started to look like, oh, people have accepted the the inevitable demise of the species, and now the argument is just over who is most to blame. Yeah, but you know, I don't buy that one. You're. You don't buy that? No. I think, I mean, I think we'll survive, humanity will survive in some form. I'm, I remain optimistic. But, you know, of course. It's funny to say, though, that that, just think about that construction. That that's optimistic? Yeah. I remain, I'm, I'm an optimist. I think humanity will survive in some form, even past my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You are a hopeful dude. Well, maybe you know, it's, well maybe, <laughs> well, maybe, I mean. Maybe, you know, the this psychedelic movement and the stuff that, you know, Pinchbeck talks about and Rogan's DMT obsession is is, you know, they're they're trying to let us know that they've experienced a state where they felt non human. 
And maybe that that's really what the evolution of humanity is towards. I don't know if there is a towards or, or from or in, right? This soup of the towards oneness. Is, the towards feels like a, a Western template. Yeah, you're right. It's like meditating with a goal, right? Like I meditate with the goal. Oh, I want to be more peaceful. I want to be more Zen. I want, yeah. Right. It's I know that that's bullshit. I know that that's not. You know, but I think it's a good right. starting point. Yeah, if it gets you in the room or it gets you sitting down, it almost doesn't matter, at least for a while. But, you know, you would hope 10 years into it, you're you're doing it for its own sake. There's this great Talmudic passage where they're arguing about what's the real best, most important reason to read Torah. Mm. You know, is it to make us more ethical or to remember our history? And then the rabbis decide, no, it's lishma. You know, the best reason to read Torah is to read Torah it's for its own sake. Mm. You know, and I would love to get there. You know, why live life? You live life to live life. You meditate to meditate. Well, you did get there. I mean, you started with that exact concept, which is you have worth just by being. You don't need right. utility. That is that is the exactly lishma. And I know this. Yeah. But I don't know if I if I embody it. Yeah. But I, I think you do. It's hard to. I mean, to some extent. But you're human. Right. I know. That's part of team human yeah, is yeah. like, we're fucking crazy. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not fully awakened, fully awakened spiritual warrior. I'm not a bodhisattva returned to this planet with uh, in, uh, <laughs> divine serenity. Are you a warrior of light? No, I'm in, I'm a New York neurotic, but, but I feel like I'm generations. I almost called this show Garden Variety Neurotic. There you go. No, but I'm, 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 I'm I, I feel like I'm generations more advanced than than you know Woody Allen or somebody. You know? <laughs> Why? In terms Why of Woody being Allen? a neurotic New York Jew, you know, he's the the neurotic the New York Jew of the 1960s and 70s. Yeah, I'm I'm less so, but I'm sure it's the same so there's questions. You know, the same kinds of questions about, you know, uh, 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 worth and virility and 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 all the stuff that plagues little New York Jews, you know. Yeah, why? Why is that? What is the... It's who we are. Yeah, it's, it's just who we the are. last it's questions. Just, yeah. I mean, you, 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 if you're the... If your race has basically been culled in terms of who's paranoid enough to escape... From where they're living oh, before the shit comes Forced down. evolution. <laughs> then you're oh, going to end up with a really particular kind of person, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, that, <laughs> that paranoia of everyone's out to get you because of that as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many generations it takes to breed something into a people. You know, but well, it, the, it's just pretty I don't much know. Maybe it's always been, been that some way. medieval <laughs> times, you know, they've been running. <laughs> Yeah, even before that, I guess, with the destruction of the temples. Right, since the Romans. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, you know, to your point about competitive conversation and this mental circle jerk that we all go through, it's like, you've been been doing this for 20 years. Like, what do you feel is the most important? Like, what have you gotten out of it? Or not even the most important, just like what, how do you feel about your 20 years of work? Um, I feel like I was wiser at the beginning of it than I give myself credit for. Mm. 
You know, I feel like this book I just did, Team Human, the book that's the closest to it really is my first book, Siberia, you know, about the original kind of cyberdelic rave possibilities. Mm. Uh, the only thing, I mean, what happened over the last 20 years or so was I got an education in economics and the political economy of media and some philosophy and media theory. Um, but so much of it was was innate or intuitive in that in that early moment, you know, I guess I was something of like almost a, a, almost like a little Jason Silva or something early on, you know, he, I mean, he's this sort of kid kind of cheerleader for the, the digital future. And, but I was never, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great orator. Yeah. Although I was never, he is, but, but I was never transhumanist. Mm-hmm. You know, I always, always, and I was looking what back. What is transhumanist? You know, to get out of the body, move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. To go beyond what it means to be human, or to change it, people and, are working on that right now. Yeah, and I, I think that they're. That. I think it's a, a. Have you ever met Brian Johnson? He's uh, he's creating Kernel, which is like Neuralink before yeah. Neuralink. But I think he's working on empathy, which is interesting That's to me. That's nice, right? Like a human machine interface that engages our mirror neurons and makes us more compassionate potentially or empathetic. Empathy doesn't mean compassion. That'd be nice. I mean, I'm sure. Once we teach the AIs how to trigger that, though, then it'll be like, Mommy, don't turn me off. Mommy, please don't turn me off. You're hurting me. You're hurting me. It's so dark. Of course they will. That's all these... Whoever pays for the technology gets it, right? Uh, I mean, and and just our track record is so bad in how we deploy it. But even back then, in the early 90s, when I was writing that book... At the end of that book, I was saying, look, there's two ways this can go. We could go the Mondo way or we can go the Wired way, you know, because mm. Wired magazine, it was just coming up at the very end, um, just when I was in the last draft of that book. And I was concerned that we were going to throw away the possibilities, the sort of the human potential of this stuff for the market potential of it. And we went and did that. You went full circle. Yeah. So you now, thus back. proving the cyclical nature. Yeah, of, <laughs> yeah of really, really. Look at this. It's cool, no? It's like perfume or something. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> we're in an apartment for those those who aren't aware of what we're doing. Well, I think this was really great. Did we? What did we do? An hour or so? We did about an hour. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's probably. I want to say one thousand times the average human attention span these days so i think that's pretty uh pretty good yeah well see if anyone listens yeah someone said we're supposed to make these 20 minutes really yeah and i was like ah oh. but then you look at joe rogan and it's like three hours well i'm actually in the middle of figuring out exactly what length i want to do this i'll, I'll do some a b testing right i'll, I'll take oh, uh, some behavioral design or whatever yeah. it's called and see what people like look at you with the a b testing i'm very impressed i have no i honestly have no idea i did one that was 30 minutes with mickey agarwal that was great i did one that was an hour and a half and i listened to it expecting to cut out content i was yeah. like I don't want to cut out content from this. Right? Mm. Like people listen, they'll fast forward, I'll tag it, they can go wherever they want. No one's going to listen anyways for the first couple. Maybe and you're going to edit right in there, right in Audacity. You want to just start editing it right now? Well, we are. <laughs> this is great. Thank you, Douglas. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming Be to this good. random yeah. apartment. Well, good Anything luck. you want to leave the audience with before you go? I think we've covered a lot of ground, but, you know. Here's your here's your opportunity to just, just distill it all down. Go outside, 
find other people, look in their eyes, sit with them and do nothing. You know, try to take a, a Sabbath if you can, one day a week and go off all these technologies and experience yourself and as as you are. It's very resetting. It's you know, do your yoga. Do your yoga. Don't do competition yoga, though. I was in one of these classes oh, downtown. <laughs> oh, my God. And part of it. Instagram yoga. Well, there is. There is. And it's like, I think everybody's just like posing for the cover of Yoga Journal or something. Well, there's the physical. I mean, I know you're, you're about to cut out, but there's the physical competitive yoga. And now we're in the phase where every technologist is a meditator. So there's the who can be more mindful. I read there's all this. It's like it's it permeates it. it it injects itself into everything that we do. Like who read more books this month? Who had more, who logged more meditation hours this oh, month? There's a metric for everything. The streak, the meditation streak. You talked about that with Russell yeah. Brand. I've been listening to you. Man, competitive I hit his number yoga. too. What's I, that? I randomly magically hit his number of his oh, streak. Oh, I know. That was he pretty cool. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Russell. Well, yeah. So do your yoga. Russell, if you're listening, you can come on this great show one day too. <laughs> and uh, Douglas Rushkoff, thank you. Thank you. Rockin'. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. It's been a really fun ride so far. I just get so excited every time I meet some of these incredible people and just love sharing their stories and, and ideas with you all. You can learn more about the show at thelookuppodcast.com. That's T-H-E, lookuppodcast.com. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on both Twitter, Instagram, um, and Medium. And Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page for the show as well, The Lookup Podcast um, on Facebook. So check us out. Uh, you can also subscribe to our mailing list on the website for more future updates. If there's anything from the show that you want to catch, I've posted that in the show links for you to check out. And if there's any way that I can improve, please let me know. Feel free to reach out. If you have any guest recommendations, please let me know. Other than a couple of individuals who are helping me out in the background, you know, this is a passion project and I'm always open to feedback and any kind of support. I want to thank Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the sound editing and the intro and outro song that he created. And I want to thank Hello There Collective for their support on my social media. You can check them out at hellotherecollective.com. All right, that's enough for me. I'm sure you're ready to go on to your next activity. Thank you for listening. And please come back again next week for another episode of the Look Up podcast. Mm-hmm.